January 10th, 2023. We're in Masechet Berachot, continuing on Daf Yod Amud Bet. The Gemara is finishing, but to a certain extent in the middle of a conversation between, as the Hachamim envisioned it, Hizkiyahu HaMelech and Yeshayahu HaNavi. If you recall, Hizkiyahu HaMelech got sick at the end, at, well, before the end of his life, but he was threatened for this to be the end of his life, and he doesn't understand why, and Yeshayahu who in turn is visiting him because he's deathly sick, explains to him it's because you haven't been involved yourself in procreation, you haven't fulfilled the mitzvah peru urvu. Hezgiyahu responds, well, one second, I saw in the future, I have ruach hakodesh, that my children are going to be not such good people, and as a result, that's why I didn't involve myself in peru urvu. The response of Yeshayahu is, that's not the way it works. That which you're commanded, you're supposed to perform. That which God is interested in doing in turn, that's his business. Yeshayahu concedes to the fact and says, okay, so now I'm going to set out to have children. However, Yeshayahu, maybe your zechut and my zechut can combine to overcome and overwhelm this decree against me and my children. Uh, perhaps I can get married to your daughter, says Yeshayahu, ironically in that situation. No, the Gezerah is already leveled. It's, off. it's an ironic spin. Whereas Yeshayahu began by telling Hezkiyahu, no, 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 you don't just give up. You don't just listen to what God's going to do in the future and as a result, so rest your cards. You have to you have to be moving forward. Yeshayahu at this point says to him, No, the Gizirah is already there. In turn, Hezkiyahu says to him in that ironic spin, you should stop your nevuah. This is not part of your prophecy. And I have a Masoret from Avi Avi from David Hamelech, Afilo Hada Munahado Savaroshaladam Alimna Atmomina Puranut, even if you have a sharp knife on your neck, even if you're very close, you're on the edge of death. You don't stop praying, you don't stop with your efforts. It's in that context that the Gemara continues and reads the um, in, in a moment or two the prayer of Hezkiyahu to God at that time in order to give him life again, to cure him, which he does. But before that, the Gemara spends a few more lines just elaborating upon this idea, expanding it of, you have to, under all circumstances, assume and know that your destiny is in your hands. Turn to God in prayer and turn to the world to see if you can manipulate it in a positive way in order to give yourself life, in order to continue with your mission. Says the Gemara here at the top of Daf Yod Amud Bet, Amar of even if there's some sort of some sort of angelic being, you have a prophecy of some sort in your dream in which there's this appearance which tells you and this message you're going to die tomorrow you don't, uh, you don't stop you don't uh, fold and assume that I don't need to continue playing and dealing with uh, reality and beseeching God for life the Pasuk says, Halomot, Havalim, dreams and air and nonsense. It's Dvarim uh, Harbe, many words. It doesn't, it doesn't amount to anything in the scheme of things. The true and only approach is Yerat Hashem is turning to God, uh, beseeching Him for Rahamim, and again, putting in your all uh, to sustain yourself. Continues the Gemara and says, Miyad. Immediately at that time, Hezkiyahu realizing that he needs to now beseech God. He needs to turn to God in prayer. 
the pasuk says that he turns his face to the wall and he prays to God. Maikir, what's the reference of wall? Now the Gemara earlier in our Masechet derived certain laws about not having separations between your head, yourself, and the wall from this Pasuk. But the Gemara over here, not in the halachic lens that it was then, is rather going to be Doresh this. What does it mean, wall? What's the significance of him turning his face to the wall in prayer? Amar Bishimon ben Lakish, Mikirot libo, Shene'emar, Me'ai, Me'ai, it's a reference to the walls of his heart. Rabbi Shimon ben Lakish uh, suggests that Chizkiyahu turning his head to the wall means he turned to the inner core of his self, meaning, to, so to speak, to the walls of his heart. Do you ever have such an idiom, such an expression of walls of heart? Indeed, we have this reference here in this Pasuk in Sefer Yirmiyah where we talk about Kirot Libi. It means Chizkiyahu had this heartfelt heart-wrenching prayer, he enters into the kirot, those uh, impenetrable, seemingly, walls of his heart. Rabbi Levi Amar al iskehaki. Rabbi Levi alternatively says, it's not that he turns to his and, and enters his inner walls, but rather he somehow appeals to matters of walls. What does that mean? Amar lefanav ribono she'elonamu mashun namit. It's turning to God and making somewhat of a kalvahomer or a logical claim. He says, listen, uh, if you know anything about Torah history, not God, but you and me, Navi history, the way it works is this student, this uh, this predator, this um, uh, successor of Eliyahu Hanavi, his name, of course, is Elisha Hanavi. Elisha Hanavi encounters a woman in a place called Shunam. We know her as the Isha Hashunamit, and she houses Elisha over the course of some time. She, in fact, and we'll talk about this later on this Amud, she constructs for him a certain area in her home by putting up a wall, it sounds like. There'll be a mahluk in the Gemara. It might not refer to a wall, but rather to a ceiling, like Tikra. Either way you slice it, we talk about that word Kir in that context. Now listen to what happened over there. The Isha Shunamit who houses Elisha, ultimately speaking, is asked by Elisha, is there anything I can do for you? And indeed, she asks for a child. Not only does she have a child, when the child passes away while working in the field, uh, she uh, runs to Elisha, and Elisha comes and resuscitates him. Can you imagine if just for a wall, if just for an area and place of prayer, uh, of living for Elisha, life was given to the Isha Hashunamit? What about me? What about my grandfather, Shalomah HaMelech? He plated all those walls and, and, and doors of the Mikdash with gold and silver, Hippah. He plated those walls with kesef and zahav, all the more so, I should merit life as a result of what he did with regards to walls. So it's al iskekir. It's a kalvahomer of sort. If she got it for just constructing a wall, shouldn't I get it for the gold and silver which plate the walls of your abode, HaKadosh Baruch Hu? So those are the two interpretations to the beginning words uh, with regards to the prayer of Hizkiah, of him turning his his face to the wall, but then his words themselves in prayer. And then Avi tells us them, Remember God, recall that which I walked in front of you with truthfulness, with a full heart, 
and hatov be'enecha asiti. Each one of these words really in and of themselves could have dirashot, but we're going to focus on those last words the Gemara will. Hatov be'enecha asiti, that which is good in your eyes, I did. What's that a reference to? And now you'll understand to a certain extent of why this was all being mentioned in our Gemara. My hatov be'enecha asiti. What's the goodness that Chizkiyahu could boast about and in turn petition God with uh, to give him life? Amarav Yehuda, Amarav Shesamach Geula The first answer of the Gemara here, Rav Yehuda, in the name of Rav is, do you know what Chizkiyahu HaMelech did? He did Semichat Geula Litvila. He went straight from Gaal Yisrael into Amida. That was his merit. Now, in truth, the Gemara did tell us on Daftet, Kol HaSomech Geula Litvila, Ma'arichin Lo Hayav, and En Nezek Ba'in Alav, Ben Olam Haban, similar statements of that sort, one or another. So it's true that in context it does make sense. He should have long life because he shouldn't have that uh, that harm from outside, and he's a Ben Olam Haban, and so forth. But uh, fundamentally, what does it mean? First and foremost, Maharsha reminds us of Tosafot and Daftet. Remember Tosafot and Daftet? Tosafot and Daftet said, but so many of us do, all of us, Semichat Geula Litvila. Tosafot said it means Semichat Geula Litvila. Remember this one? Vatikin. If you do Semichat Geula Litvila at Hanetahama, that's what it's a reference to. Okay, that's significant in and of itself. But beyond that, and that shows a certain dedication. Beyond that, you might recall the commentary of Rabenu Yonah. Rabenu Yonah suggested that Geula, going straight into Tefillah, was foundational. We've mentioned this more than once. Because going straight from redemption and realizing that this isn't a freedom from situation where I now just do that which I want to do. Rather, I've gone from a servitude of sorts, is what we say in Ga'al Yisrael. You redeemed us, God and we channeled it to you. We had freedom too. We now, instead of uh, exhibiting this, uh, this newfound uh, freedom in the world by doing whatever we want to do, we channeled it all to you. That's very significant. So the statement then in the Gemara of Rav Yudan, in the name of Rav, and needs to be taken from its very uh, coarse and uh, topical mention with regards to, oh, this is what he did, this is how he prayed, to really understanding what's at the depth of that. Either Vatikin, Hama, it's about dedication, or alternatively, and along the same lines, the uh, the philosophy of Rabbeinu Yonah, that the reference is to a vision and vantage point on life of dedicating your life to Borei Olam. Continues the Gemara, another opinion, Rabbi Levi Amar Shiganaz, Sefer Refuot. Alternatively, says Rabbi Levi, it's because Hizkiyahu HaMelech hid the book of Refuot. What's the book of Refuot? He's referring to a Gemara, Mishnah Gemara, Masechet Pesachim, and Daf Nun Vav. The Gemara over there seems to describe, Rashi fills us in the gaps, as does Harambam, some sort of book which was uh, present in the days of Hizkiyahu HaMelech, which was a book of remedies and cures. If you had a sickness, if you had an ailment, so to speak, any of them, you'd be able to cure it by looking in this book and finding the cure. He hid that book. What's the pos- Oh, that's a great question. Million dollar question. What's good about that? We'll start with Harambam. We'll look, start with Harambam and his Perusha Mishnayot and Perik Dalid of Masechim Pesachim in Mishnah Tet. Harambam over there in his commentary suggests one of two reasons. Either he says the reason is 
because the way in which some or all of these remedies were um, formulated was by means of the constellations and stars. And as a result, a simple person opening it and reading such cures and such references will mistake in the stars and galaxies and constellations with deities. It'll bring you to Avodazara. It's very much in line with the life of Hizkiyahu Amelech as we know it, who looked to and did effectively get rid of Avodazara, of his father, of Ahaz. Alternatively, Arambam says, if it's a book of remedies, it probably either implicitly or explicitly tells you how you got this, uh, how you were harmed. In other words, it kind of talks about not only the way to cure, but also the poisons, necessarily. If it's talking about the way to cure it, you could somehow piece it together and figure out poisons. That's dangerous. Wrong person gets their hand on it. They don't use it to cure. They use it to harm. Rashi, alternatively, in our Gemara, suggests, and there's a real ironic spin in the final line of the Hizkiyahu Yeshayahu conversation, says Rashi, with the book of Refuot, people won't be praying as much. You won't appreciate in the positive, and albeit the silver lining of sickness and ailments and illnesses, that you're able to and uh, to, to turn to God feeling vulnerable and understand the connection with Him. Of course, that's the ironic last spin over here. It means that Yeshayahu, who was beseeching Hizkiyahu, do what you need to do, and ultimately speaking to him, oh, there's a Gezerah. Hizkiyahu's response is, Gezerah? Ha! I need to be praying to God to the extent that very appropriately the Gemara mentions in that context. And he then turns to God and says, Hey God, guess what? I got rid of the Sefer HaRefuot. I'm the one who encouraged people to go above and beyond. There's a Gezerah, but we need to deal with it. We need to turn to you in prayer in our own efforts. Tanura Banana Beraita. Now that we're talking about Hizkiyahu, again, probably all mentioned because of that first statement of Yudah in the name of Rav, of but let's talk about the things that he did according to our tradition, some explicit, some implicit, some Hachamim's uh, tradition, uh, those three which uh, the rabbis and the people of the leadership of the time agreed with him, and the other three which he did out of the norm, unique, maybe peculiar actions, which they disagreed with him on. Of course, he did more than six things in his life. We're talking about six unique, out-of-the-norm things. For three of them, the leadership, the rabbis, uh, the prophets, agreed with him. They told him, good job. On three, not good. What were they? The three which were commended. Uh, number one, So we discussed that just a moment ago, the geniza, the, the hiding away of that sefer Number two, He he decimated, he, um, he, he destroyed the Nehash HaNehoshet, the Torah, and Sefer B'midbar, and Perek Kaf Aleph describes how Am Yisrael complained in year 40 of the desert for bread and water. Of course, they were getting the man, but they were complaining, and they, as a result of those complaints, God sent snakes, uh, which uh, bit them and uh, poisoned and killed them. Moshe, turning to God in prayer, is told, if you want to heal them, you should make for yourself a nahash. You should make some sort of snake. Moshe understands and he makes a bronze or a copper snake, rather, a nahash ha-nehoshet. And the Torah says any person who looked at that nahash ha-nehoshet was cured. Now, the Mishnah in Masechet Rosh Hashanah makes clear it's not because the nahash ha-nehoshet has some sort of power. It's rather by looking up at this bronze, uh, excuse me, copper snake on the top of Moshe's staff, people were in turn inspired by looking up, thinking about God, 
and that changed their state of being from one of complaint and 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 rebellion against God to one of adherence and connection to God. Uh, that being the case, so why would he destroy it? The interpretation is based on the Gemara and Pesachim, based on our understanding that that became mistaken as well. I mean, imagine the scene. We know these sorts of scenes today. Until today, people assume you do X, and that's how it works out. That's that encroaches in the zone of Abu Dazarat. It's not the way things work. You don't look at a snake, uh, irrespective of where it comes from, or what it's made of, and get cured from that. Maybe you have the right intention, maybe you have the right connection, maybe something is in place as a result. As a result, Hizkiyahu, again, similar to the Sefer Refuot, to looking for matters of essence, looking to get rid of even the Shemitz, even the uh, residue of uh, Avodazara, was Kitet, Nahasha Nehoshet. Lastly, Girer, Asmot Aviv, Almitashel Havalim, after the death of his father Ahaz, a very not good king, a king who brought Avodazara to Am Yisrael, instead of treating his father with the utmost respect after his death, he was a king as well. Instead of um, moving him in a coffin in a bed made of gold and silver, perhaps, he has a very low grade bed, one made of havalim, of, of ropes of sorts, uh, which is, uh, which is de- degrading, uh, which is uh, somewhat of an uh, embarrassment to his father after his death. Um, but he did so in order to make clear to the people Avodah Zarah doesn't get, and those who uh, perpetuate and uh, and promulgate and bring forth Avodah Zarah, they don't get the appropriate respect. That's why his father, and even his father, was treated as such. Rashi and Masechet Sanhedrin on Daf Mem Zayin suggests that Ahaz was able to do so even though it's his father, and there's a mitzvah of Kibbutah Vayim, because his father was, you know, Ose Ma'ase Ammecha, which means to say his father didn't follow Halacha appropriately, and under some or all circumstances of such, there's not per se a mitzvah of kibudavayim. Alternatively, some disagree with Rashi and suggest that this was a exception to the rule, and the reason is because his father, in bringing forth Avodah Zarah, like was was like a hotel mahatit tarabim, was like a mesit, a person who brought others to Avodah Zarah. There and only there would you, are you not obligated in that kabod. But again, the Gemara says hodulo on these three. Lastly. On three last situations, Hizkiyah did, and they didn't agree with him. Satam Megihon Vilohodulo. Megihon is a river, uh, is a river next to Yerushalayim. As Ashur was either approaching or battling against Am Yisrael, Hizkiyah was promised through Nevoah he was going to win this war, but he put in too much effort. Again, there's a lot of playing in this Gemara with how much effort, which effort, turning to God, not turning to God, doing on your own, assuming that you can or can't, and so forth. Over here, he, he cuts off the source of water flow in the Gihon in order to hurt Ashur. Now, it might hurt his people, but even if it doesn't, uh, many of the Mepharshim interpret this as being a lack of emunah and bitachon in God. God told you you're going to win. So what are you doing? You're overextending. You're working overtime when you were kind of told this is going to be what you're going to make anyway. That's wrong. Lohodulo is they didn't praise him or they actively reprimanded him? That's a good question. Um, my understanding was the first, just that they didn't agree with him. Do you find explicit reprimanding? I'm not certain. It's a good question. In other words, I, I don't know that we find pesukim per se. What do the hachamim mean? That's a good question. I, I don't know. Uh, is there a major difference? Maybe a major difference with regards to the severity of it. I don't know. Kitzetz dalto techal v'shigiram lemelch hashuv Furthermore, 
in his uh, act of defense against Melech Hashur, he either takes off the gold and silver plating of the doors of the Hechal, of the Mikdash, or alternatively actually sends the door, Mahlokit had to understand this, to Melech Hashur. Wrongful. I mean, we understand defense, we understand being careful and prudent at times of war, but to take from the Hechal, that's, uh, that's beyond. Iber Nisan Benisan Velohodulo, and lastly, he makes a Shana Me'uberet, he adds on the month of Adar, a second Adar, or rather a second Nisan, in Nisan. Those are the words. What does that mean? Well, first and foremost, the reason. The reason was as follows. Generally speaking, the Gemara in the first chapter of Masechet Sanhedrin, a lot in Masechet Rosh Shana, talks about when uh, it was historically appropriate and how to do so to add an extra month onto the year. Today we have it already designated and in place. Once upon a time, this would be a year-to-year decision to a certain extent. That you'd add on a full month, a full month of, of Adar, generally speaking. The halakha, as we'll read in a second, is hachodesh hazelachem. With regards to uh, um, Nisan, this month is your Rosh Chodesh. And you can't have after this Rosh Chodesh another month. You can have before it, meaning an extra Adar. The statement here seems to be that he added an extra Nisan after Nisan already began. Well, that's crazy. Well, that's against the Halakha. First, why would he do that? The reason he would do it is because he was still trying to purify the people from the Avodah Zarah, from the days of his father Ahaz. He said, before Korban Pesach, before Pesach, let's finish this purification. But how do he go against an explicit Halakha? The Gemara questions that because we assume and know Hizkiyahu did know the normative practice. He knew the Halakha. He followed the Torah. Umilet le, le Hizkiyahu. Did Hizkiyahu not know the tradition we have? Didn't he know that the Derasha and the Pasuk is, this is Nisan, there's no Nisan afterwards. How did he add on a Nisan after Nisan? Again, you can add an Adar after an Adar. Once Nisan begins, you can't add on any longer. Too late. Sorry. You're in trouble? You're in trouble. Ela, rather, the Gemara suggests, The statement of Shemuel, the Emora, not the Prophet, goes as follows. What happens when you hit day 30 of Adar? Now, in the Hebrew calendar, in the purest sense, you could have in each month either 29 days or 30 days. Now, until today, we sometimes have that double Rosh Chodesh, day 30 of the previous month and day 1 of the next month. Now, what happened was, the suggestion is, it got to day 30 of Adar, and there were 30 days in Adar. On that day, he says, let's add on another month. But the mistake that he makes is that Shemuel says you can't do that. Once he got into day 30, which could be Nisan, because it's sometimes 29 days and sometimes 30 days once upon a time. Oh, that being the case, you can't take the day, which could be Nisan, and turn it into another month. We already imagine it as if you started Nisan. Chizkiyahu says, Ho'il ve'efshar, he doesn't have so. Ho'il ve'ra'ui, the fact that it could be Nisan. No such thing. Is it Nisan or is it not? It's Adar. And as a result, I'm going to be Me'aber, but that was a mistake. Ve'lohodu. Says the Gemara, Amar bi'ohanam ishum bi'oseh ben Zimra, kolat tole b'schut asmo, tolin lo b'schut ahirim. Kolat tole b'schut ahirim, tolin lo b'schut asmo. This is a statement in derech eretz, statement in proper conduct, mindset, and way of articulating yourself. You shouldn't turn to God, or by extension any person, but certainly to God, and say, God, answer me in my merits. That's too bombastic, self-centered. That's egocentrical. That's not good. A person who does so, if you're answered by God, and we'll prove this, you're answered, so to speak 
God says, oh, sure, I'll listen to you in the merit of another. That's a statement to you. Don't turn. If you, if you appeal to God in the merit of other, you have humility. You're not uh, egocentrical. You're just saying, I'm not worthy. Oftentimes, and we'll point to this as well, God will respond, at least we'll find cases in which he responds and says, I'm answering not in their merit. What about your merit? It's a statement about humility, about piety, about proper way of, uh, of, of taking away from that kohiva uh, that, uh, mindset. Says the Gemara, where do we learn these from? Well, first and foremost, Moshe got it right. We know this Pesukim, this Pesukim, Parashat Kitisa, after Chetaege, Moshe turns to God and he appeals, God, do because of your servants, your slaves, Avram, Tchak, and Yaakov. That's why you should save this nation. Through the Navi in Sefer Tehilim says, I'll answer you, but and I'll respond, but in your merit, not in the merit of Abraham. We don't need Abraham to talk Yaakov. You have the merit yourself, you pious, modest one, Moshe. So the Pasuk in turn says, it's because of Moshe that they weren't destroyed after Chetar Egel. In contrast, and ironically, Hizkiyahu, who he'd been praising, who seemed to have gotten everything right, who had the great prayer in that moment to save his life, but not fully. What do you mean? He turns to God, and as the Pasuk told us earlier, He turned to God and he said, God, remember all the goodness I've done in my merit, in my zechut, answer me. The response of God is, sure, I'll answer. You'll get life back. A good amount of time, more than a decade of life. However, David Abdi, seemingly the response of God, according to the Hachamim's understanding, was I'm answering you and saving you in merit of David. What does it mean when the Pasuk says in Hizkiah's words, when God came in peace, it was still bitter? It was still bitter. Oh, sure, it was still Mar. You want to know why? Because even when He gave me my life, there was a bitter ending to it. There was a bitter side to it. The fact that it was not in my merit, that I asked wrongfully and I got, by God, reprimanded implicitly, still had a certain bitterness. It wasn't all sweet. Continues the Gemara and it says, let's be Doresh, some of those Pesukim, by the Isha Shunamit. We mentioned her earlier. Remember, Kirot, uh, Kirot Libo was one opinion. The other opinion was Al Iske Kir. Uh, Hizkiyahu turns to God and he appeals to the fact that uh, look at all the walls of the Mikdash in my family's merit compared to we're not putting her down but compared to all the merit of the Isha Shunamit because of her wall she got life shouldn't I get life these are the words of the Isha Shunamit to her husband in um, the idea to build for Elisha this area in their home Ravu Shmuel this Mahlok between Emoraim had to interpret what this wall was or rather this attic Aliyah is an attic of sorts. Hadamar Aliyah Peru'ahayeta Vikiruha. First opinion is uh, either Rav Shemuel, we're not certain in the Gemara, that it was an upper area, in other words, like an attic area, but it didn't have a ceiling, and they put a ceiling over it. So it's not to per se that they put a wall up, they put a ceiling over it. Hadamar Achsadra Gedola Hayeta. No, no, no. There was a large open area. And they closed it, they closed it up with a wall in the middle, half, let's say, or one side for Elisha and the other, I guess, for them. I understand according to the opinion who says it was an open area and they put up a wall. That's why the Pasuk says 
would you know it? They put up a wall. According to the opinion, says it was really an attic and they put a ceiling. Why does the Pasuk say wall? It doesn't mean wall, it means ceiling. Because the ceiling, tikra, uses a similar word. It makes sense to use a similar word. It's not exactly the same word, but maybe it could be used or manipulated in text in that fashion uh, because kind of the ceiling is a wall for the top of the room. Alternatively, we'll push the other opinion. We have a confusion in the Pesukim. On the one hand, the Pasuk says they gave him an attic. On the other hand, the Pasuk says they gave him a wall. I said, you told me it was an achsadra, some sort of open area. Why does it say attic? Attic, we understood. It meant an upper area, which wasn't uh, ceilinged. Instead of reading it as the upper area, read it as the upper place, meaning the best part of the place. They gave him the best area. That's when the rabbi came for uh, for a Shabbat and everyone got kicked out of their rooms. He got given the best, or the parents went out of the master bedroom and they're sleeping in the baby's room. Best area, that was Elisha. That's the Aliyah. Aliyah, not a reference to physically on the top, but rather physically in terms of superiority. Uh, now the Pasuk says, furthermore, that uh, she, the Isha Shunami, turns to her husband and says, let's not only build him that, let's give him good stuff. The Nasim Lo Sham, Let's place for him, Elisha, there, mita, a bed, shulchan, a table, kise, a chair, umnora, and a lamp. Well, let's give him everything he needs. A person who's interested in appropriately getting hana'a from others when it's granted to them, they're allowed to do so. Their model, their paradigm in Navi is Elisha. Alternatively, if their their way to life is an ascetic life to a certain extent, I'm not going to get from others. I won't take anything, even when it's being proposed and given to me in a circumstance where I don't have on my own. So be like Elisha and, and and abstain from it. Make sure you have sustenance. Don't starve yourself to death. Shene'emar, let's, well, on the one hand, we know where we can learn that from Elisha. Elisha accepts it. On the other hand, with Shimuel, who said Shimuel didn't accept? Famous Pasuk describes Shimuel's life as a leader of Yisrael. Utshuvato haramata kisham beto Beto imo. The pasuk says as follows. It says uchuvato haramata, but Rashi fills in the whole pasuk. Pasuk says um, first and foremost, chuvato means the place he would go back to haramata. That's where he came from. It's named Rama. Rama time Sophie, The beginning of Shemuel says kisham beto because that's where his home was. I mean, we know that's where his home was. That's what you told me. But it says Rashi in explaining our Gemara. The pasuk really expands. Is a little bit more expansive. Says vayam Every year, what um, Shemuel would do is v'savav betel v'hamitzvah he would go around these areas betel and the mitzvah v'shavat et Yisrael and he would judge Yisrael he would lead them and he'd answer their questions and so forth then it would say the reading creatively of our Gemara is you want to know kisham beto is a reference to not his home Rather, those other places. What do you mean those other places are his home? We're suggesting that every place he went to, he made his own home. How could he make his own home? He brought everything he needed. He was there with his pots and his pans and his clothing and anything and everything, his toothbrush and, and, his, and his shampoo and anything and everything. He was set up in every place he went to. Every place was beto. He wasn't visiting in a place. He was establishing himself in each of those places. That's how we're reading these words. Every place he went, he brought his whole household. Again, this is not per se the regular lifestyle of a person. You go to a hotel 
and you use their kitchen, of course, after koshering it. But uh, and and you might, but uh, you know, you, you might even uh, go to someone's home or a restaurant or something of like that. Shemuel wasn't of that sort. Shemuel would bring with him so as not to be dependent upon others, and you appreciate that to a certain extent. He was a shofet. We don't want any biases. But furthermore, the ability to be independent is a way of life for many. It's certainly a way of mimicking the ways of Hakadosh Baruch Hu. Generally speaking, we quote that pasuk from Mishle. That's a matana. Over here, it's not a matana. That's why it's permitted. Shemuel went above and beyond. Says the Gemara onward. Vatomer husband. You know something? I noticed he's a man of God. Says the Gemara. Who said to whom? She said to him. How interesting. Wouldn't you assume the conversations were between man and man, the Isha Elohim, that Elisha spoke to uh, the husband of the Isha Shunamid? But no, she's the one who fine-tunes the situation and realizes who he is. You can see from this, and you could derive from this, and I think this is relatable for anyone who has a spouse or a, parent, a mother or a grandmother, that the women, generally speaking, know more about their guests than the men. The men are interested in the conversation, maybe the food at the meal or something or another, their work. Uh, the women are paying attention to the guests. They could tell you, oh, wow, what a fine, sensitive man. This, that man, he struck me wrong. I felt like he was eyeing something. I didn't notice that. But women oftentimes do have a, a sensitive eye for that. Marsha suggests, based on the Gemara Masechet Ta'anit and Gimal, that maybe it's because women are home more than men. I don't know, in today's day and age, post-COVID, that's really going to stand true. I still think there's a certain sensitivity for women in noticing strangers or guests in general uh, for one reason or another in a way that's more keen and, 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 uh, and, and they have this ob- uh, uh, observant eye, this eye which is able to pick up on in ways that, generally speaking, I'm stereotyping, but uh, the gender of men is, is just not as capable or as prone to do. Not to say all situations will be so. Kadoshu, How did she know that he was a kadosh? Now, uh, earlier, in that last statement, you may have said, she just picked up on it. Intuition. Alternatively, the Gemara gives two suggestions as to what she saw physically to designate and to decide and know that he's an Ish Kadosh. She never saw a fly go onto his table. This is akin to the Mishnah in the fifth chapter of Masechet Avot, one of the miracles of the Mikdash, that never in the Bet Hamit Behaim was there any fly, never got involved in the matters of Kiddushah, a person who's sanctified, or rather, sanctified holy domains. You want to keep flies and dirty things out of there. Shimuel, in turn, excuse me, Elisha, in turn, the statement here in the Gemara is, you never, he was so holy, so to speak, he was eating from Kivyachol, God's food, and there was never any flies. I was told more than once, by people who either saw it or heard the stories about him that Rav Moshe Feinstein, when he was in the country during the summer, he would sit outside. There are famous pictures of him studying outside. There's even a video I saw of him learning Torah outside and speaking with people outside. Whereas anyone who's been to the country, certainly the country 20, 30 years ago, even more, there were always bugs, mosquitoes and flies and gnats and so forth. He never had any of them. Everyone would be swatting them away, and somehow Rav Moshe Feinstein didn't have them. It always reminded me of this Gemara. He had that certain innate Kiddushah. The other opinion suggests it was based on her observation of his sheets. 
She had a sheet made of linen on his bed, and she noticed that even though he was separate from any marital relations, there was never any seminal discharge. There was no carry on it, and as a result, she said he's a very holy person. His mind is pristine. His mind is set in place that he doesn't have, whether get, willingly or even unwillingly, any of that seminal discharge. Kadoshu! Amar bar hanina hu kadosh umsharito eno kadosh. Statement is, uh, it doesn't just say that he's Kadosh, it's Kadosh who? And the Dirasha is, he was, but his, his helper, his uh, sidekick, whose name was Gehazi, he was not. Kadosh. Now we know stories about Gehazi later on, specifically in context of Naaman and Gehazi, but we're going to do it in this context as well. Gehazi, although an aide, although a, a, a helper of Elisha, was not, in the eyes of the Navi, such a, a high-level person. Shene'emah, we bring a derashat to support this. Vayigash Gehazi lehadefa. The Pasuk seems to say that Gehazi comes to push her away. We read that word lehadatha instead of to push her away. It's hod yofya. It's a compound word of sorts. It's a notricon, which suggests hod yofya. It's a reference to uh, the grand, the grandeur of her beauty. It's a reference to the upper chest of a woman. He went and he, he held, he groped her. Where do we see that in the Pasuk? Well, Lehadefa, why would he be pushing her away? Uh, Maharsha suggests one of two things. Why is he pushing her away? What'd she do? Instead, it's a reference to his lust, his desire. He runs up to her and he gro- gropes her chest. Alternatively, Maharsha points out, um, the, the Pasuk says later on that Elisha has to take him off of her. If he's just pushing her, he's not holding on to her. As a result, we're being Doresh, that he's so not Kadosh that he, to a random woman, just runs up to her, I guess in, in a moment of, of lust and desire, and gropes her upper chest. Over Alenu Tamid, the Pasuk says that she turns to her husband and describing Elisha, she says about him, he comes by us. Uh, constantly. That word tamid in the eyes of the hachamim is an interesting word that needs to be picked up on. It's not just that he's over aleinu, he's over aleinu tamid, it likens, she likens it too in the eyes of the rabbis, a korban tamid. We can derive from this to a certain extent, and maybe that's what's hinted in the text. It's as if when you bring a tamid hacham into your home, a person of scholar uh, of scholarship of essence of sitkut and you in turn give them from your own things you spend time observing them and having conversation with them and helping them it's as if you're being makrive tamid because when you get involved with higher level people who speak higher level matters who act in a way which is more uh, uh, pristine and more refined you in turn become a different person it's kivyachol as if you're attaching yourself to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. in fact the hachamim do have a derasha harambam sites in a sefer mitzvot and elsewhere that if you want to be holech bidrachav shalakadosh baruchu, you want to walk in the ways of God, the way that you can mimic him best is by being hachamim. You can, in turn, um, embody uh, him in this world through the vision and understanding of those who are scholars and righteous and involving yourself with them and doing things with them and following their ways and helping them. That's a way of, in the hardest way possible, to find the presence of God in this world. When you find a person who truly authentic in his Avodat Hashem. You attach yourself to them. The words of our Gemara here, the words of the Gemara elsewhere is that you're really touching on a connectedness to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to a certain extent himself. Baruch Adonai